happen and the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth cracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A vast against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking and other hosts are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking the ones who keep on grappling The listeners some followers who get it keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend President to see where haters with the men there's no pretend 17 years, he along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Cali back by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood One, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live, what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, all around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media Great friends, what is good? This is episode 21 of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast And this week, things take a very, very bizarre turn on the podcast. You know, we've been doing so much um, business and inspiration that last week, visiting with Heath Bell, the former Padre closer, and talking to him him about the current state of the Padres and a little baseball background and history from his days with the Padres, and then getting into his his current business, all really interesting stuff. So this week kind of also sticking in the world of sports and keeping it close to home. Remember one thing about Heath Bell, if you listened last week, you realize that Heath Bell's coffee company, his business partner is someone he met through the Great Friends Network. And this gentleman this week is also a part of the Great Friends Network. And I'm going to tell you about him in one second, but it has me thinking about community a lot this week. And I'll tell you why. So this past weekend on a Sunday morning, I went to a funeral and I hate going to funerals. I'm sure everybody else has their own reactions to having to go to these kinds of things. And the funeral was for a 40 year old, 41 year old woman who I've known for years, not well, but I've known her husband, Sergeant Alan Pena. He's a Marine. And this guy has been around the Scott and BR show for so many years and has been such a good friend. He was so helpful when we were having our golf tournaments up at Camp Pendleton. I mean, he was really our Marine contact. Every Christmas, he comes to us and says, hey, let's do something for Toys for Tots. And he's just a really generous, loving, giving guy. And he's a Marine. And Marines don't make any money. And so when his wife, um, unfortunately, took her own life, uh, this is, you know, really public stuff because, you know, it's been all over Facebook. When his wife took his own life, um, uh, my first thought was, what What can we do? And Sergeant Pena had sent me some messages on Facebook, and he said, listen, you know, I, I would never ask anybody for any money, but you, you have no idea what this has done to us. And of course I have an idea of what it's done to him. I mean, the, the emotional part of a suicide has got to be just brutal for the survivors. Um, but, you know, financially, for a guy who's a Marine, and, and you have to understand, like, I went to this funeral, and this is why I was thinking about community. I went to this funeral, and they were playing a video, a tribute to her life before the funeral. And so many pictures were around sports. And I realized that I was there for a lot of those photos uh, somewhere in the background. I guess my point was is that it was the radio show and it was the local sports teams and it was the passion for those teams that had put us all together in the first place and had me sitting at a funeral on a Sunday morning for one of the great friend's wives. And it was such a tragic, sad thing. Can you imagine this? This woman, 41 years old, she had three children of her own. She already had three grandchildren of her own. So you imagine how young she was when she had kids and how young her kids were starting having kids. A 41-year-old woman takes her own life with three children and three grandchildren. And I couldn't tell you what was wrong. I have no answers at all. I am just so... I was in so much pain yesterday. I was like, I couldn't breathe. I was at this funeral and I I couldn't breathe because I was in pain for my friend, Sergeant Pena. I was, I was literally hurting so badly for him. I couldn't even breathe at this funeral. And I just kept thinking, wow, how, what am I doing here? And, and you know, it is a community. We, we have all been friends for a really long time. It has been charger games and Padre games and the radio show and, you know, events out and about, and there is a real community. And I would just say this, um, 
if you would be interested in contributing to the family and all of the financial disaster that comes with this sort of event in someone's lives, um, they did set up a GoFundMe page, and her name is Joyce Pena, P-E-N-Y-N-A, if you speak Spanish. Her name's Joyce Pena, and if you were to go on to GoFundMe, you could help Sergeant Pena. In fact, we're going to be doing an event coming up on June 7th at the Comedy Store in La Jolla where a bunch of comics are going to perform and do it all for free and we're going to collect the door and give it to Sergeant Pena and his family that night. So keep that on your calendar. June 7th, it's a Thursday night at the Comedy Store in La Jolla. If you're here in San Diego, you got to come join us for that. And, and that's what gets us now to this next interview. This is a guy named David Agronoff who I've known a couple of years because he was really the leader of a group called Save Our Bolts that was trying to save the Chargers here in San Diego. And I got to know David a little bit further because he had asked me if he could come into the radio studio and observe because he was working on a book and he wanted to base a character off of the radio talk show host guy. So anyway, I haven't seen David or spoken to him in a long time. And then he emailed me and said, hey, um, the book is about to be released and there is a full character based on you. And I said, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Let's talk about it. And what happens in this interview is interesting because David is such a passionate activist he was so passionate about helping keep the chargers here in town it's like all he wants to talk about but what he doesn't really understand and you'll hear it as you as you go is that it takes time for all of us to understand why he is so interesting because he's bizarre and interesting and sci-fi and freaky and weird and all of this shit in one and you're about to hear that right now this is the guy who worked with us and and did everything he could possibly do as a fan to try and help keep the Chargers in San Diego. This is a guy who founded Save Our Bolts and who now, as you'll hear as this thing goes on, now he's got a new book, a new sci-fi thriller, zombie, murdery, weird kind of, uh, you know, the earth comes to an end kind of a book. And uh, the anger with which he had for the Chargers and the Spanos family, all that venom comes out in this book. And so... Again, community. There we were at this funeral. So many of us who were great friends with Sergeant Pena, we want to be there to help him on June 7th, and we want to help him by contributing to this GoFundMe page. Same thing with a guy like David Agronoff, you know? Super bizarre, weird, strange, but yet interesting and smart guy who needs a big break in his career, and possibly this book could be it for him. So here's this week's episode of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast with... David Agron. All right, dude, we're we're rolling. You're just getting into my office and just sitting down and breaking out your notebook and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on? What do you what do you got here? Uh, well, you know, I think some of your listeners might be interested. This is where Saver Bolt started. Like the whole movement, everything started um, on this piece of paper, and as you can see, I wrote "Keep the bolts." <laughs> And marked it out because that was my original first, like, clever idea for the movement and the name. And, um, you know, everything that, like, as you can see, I've had all these bullet points of all these ways I wanted our, our movement to go. I'm going to take and a picture this, of that so I can uh, so I can show people yeah. what you're talking about. And um, so, yeah, I had this, this notebook. I know if it's not a good podcast listening, but... The uh, the whole movement, basically, I started these things of like, what's important to the Chargers, luxury boxes. I knew that we needed to have rallies. I talked about Chargers Park around the county. And you can see I said Chula Vista, question mark, you know, and letters to the mayor, all this other stuff. And, you know, at the beginning, I didn't think um, it was going to go as easily as it did. And, you know, I always tell people the very first rally we had downtown, um, I went down there and I said, told all the members of our group that we needed to demand a meeting with the mayor. And then everyone said, well, uh, what are we going to, you know, when are we going to have it? And I said, oh, he'll never agree to it, but we just demanded anyways. And the very first time we were down there, uh, Marshall from the mayor's office came down and said, when are you available? And so... You know, right from the beginning, the movement like took off more than I had ever expected. I had 20 years of activism experience and I'd never seen like a city engage with uh, an activist group in the way that we did. And it was just really cool. So. So how did let, let, let's get let's we'll come back to save yeah. our bolts in a minute. But we um, 
that's how we that's how I met you and that's yeah. how I thought it would be interesting to kind of mention that well I appreciate it because you know one of the things that um, occurred to me this weekend I I was at a funeral unfortunately mm-hmm. with um, with one of our listeners it was his wife and I looked around the room and I saw a lot of people there that I knew mostly from sporting events and they showed um, like a video presentation of her life, you know, mm-hmm. and there were so many pictures that included Qualcomm Stadium for Charger games or Petco Park for Padre games. And it just had this, there was this reaction for me like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you know, these relationships are all around sports and radio and community, you know. So what you did with Save Our Bolts and what, you know, then how you got the local media engaged, I mean, it was a, it was a great piece of activism. Well, and what was really interesting is that um, I grew up in Indiana. I wasn't a Chargers fan. I wasn't even a football fan until I moved to San Diego in 2002. And then LaDainian Tomlinson was just so amazing. It kind of roped me in. How'd you, why, why'd you come to San Diego from Indiana? Uh, just to try something different, to try the West Coast. Um, Santa Cruz was too expensive. Um, and that had been my original plan was to move to what San Diego. What were you going to do there? Well, my wife and I uh, both work in special education. I was working on building a career as a writer. I was just starting to want to be a writer. And I thought, you know, being in California, I had a chance to sell film work or whatever. Um, More likely anyways. So chasing a dream in California from Indiana. Yeah. And I came out here. I'd always been an environmental and animal rights activist. Um, So I'd always been an activist in my first couple of years in San Diego. I wasn't much of a sports fan. I was just uh, I was mostly an activist. And I mean, like you moved to San Diego and like you were going to be in special education. That's how you were going to pay your bills. And right. And I still am. And (laughs) you pay my bills that way. Yeah. Okay. And then you got into activism here in San Diego. Yeah, I, I was already doing it back home in Indiana, and I went to college in Syracuse, and I did it up there, too. And so what was really interesting about my experience of the community thing with Save Our Bolts is that I had 20 years' experience of doing environmental activism, animal rights stuff, where I was really pushing the envelope, getting arrested, you know, doing blockades. What kind of animal of rights stuff? I mean, were you a pain in the ass up at Del Mar? Um Probably. (laughs) I know we're not on the same side on that, but uh, um, I never uh, specifically was there, but um, certainly I'm on the opposite side there. I understand. But, uh, you know, I'd been doing all this activism for years and years and years. And then um, around 2006, we decided to try um, Portland, Oregon. And we were up there for eight years. And it's important to the story because... Um, I was still a Charger fan, and the only way I could uh, continue to be a Charger fan, make sure I watched every game, was to go to the Charger bar in Portland. And it's a bar uh, named Claudia's. And for the first time, I became a part of a Charger community. And up there, we had like 30 or 40 people that would watch every game. And the very first nine games I went to at Claudia's was the 2009 season when we won 11 in a row. And so it was just like really great. You get wrapped in. Yeah, I got wrapped in, got, you know, and pretty soon I never missed a game at Claudia's. And part of the idea of moving back to San Diego was my wife never liked Portland. <laughs> she wanted to come back to San Diego and she sold me on, you can get involved with the Chargers. You can go to um, open practice. You can go to all these things uh, it, once you go back to San Diego and so, so moving back to San Diego from Portland was was you could be closer to your favorite football team. That was a huge part of it. Yeah, that was part of the selling point. And so for that first year, I got involved with blogging about the Chargers. I started doing a blog or started writing for Bolt Blitz and those kinds of things. Getting more involved in the community thing. I met people like Thomas Powell and stuff like that. Some of the the infamous charger bloggers and but all along you're a special education teacher yeah i i'm a teacher's aide in a special ed classroom in a school in ocean beach and you know and i do that because it's a do- job that at the end of the day i'm done and i have time to write and pursue my career as a writer and during this time i'm also publishing i started publishing in 2009 so i have like six books out the, previously the, f- the first book that you wrote mm-hmm. what, what was that which one the first book I wrote was a short story collection called Screams from a Dying World. Really cheery stuff. Um, but it's all like environmental and animal rights themed horror fiction and science fiction. Horror fiction, science fiction. But the, how do you get these things published? I mean, especially a first time author. <laughs> well, 
we can get to that. Let me, let me just stay on the track of, of what we're doing with the Chargers, and we'll talk books. Well, hold but, on a second. Okay. Hold on a second. This is this <laughs> is the way I got to conduct things. Yeah, okay. okay I'm sorry. I, to, I have to, to open doors, and, and when you open doors, I just be careful with what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see Otherwise, that. you're going gonna to let me have a lot of questions. I see that. I well, just don't, that's I just the fun thing about a podcast, cause, too. Because you're saying, and we'll get right back to the Charger thing, mm-hmm. but, but you're saying, I've got this job. And I and I'm trying to publish books, and I'm writing stuff for the Chargers. I'm a very active person. But how? But but people are listening, going, I would like to publish a book. How did he ever do that? Uh, grinding. Um, well, did you have a publisher? Publisher? Yes, I have a publisher. Um, uh, my publisher is Eraserhead Press, which is the largest cult publisher in in the world for bizarro and weird fiction. And I, what I did is I, sm- I, I spent a lot of time going to horror conventions, like conventions for horror writers and publishers. And I would publish a short story here or a short story there. I had a, sh- a screenplay that won a, um, a real famous contest called the Nickel Fellowship, which is put, it's a amateur screenwriting contest put on by the Oscars. And I placed really highly, really high in the nickel with a screenplay I wrote called Hunting the Moon Tribe, which was like, kung fu vampires really weird shit mm-hmm. and um so this I'm, is weird shit but it's cool i mean it's yeah. like totally different i have no idea what you're talking about so it's interesting right and so because i was writing very weird and interesting stuff my publisher happened to notice me and and how i got started was they knew that i was a vegan and an animal rights person and they knew that i was a horror person and so one of my editors called me up his name's carlton mellick and he's written books like i'm I'm not even making this up he he wrote a book called the haunted vagina right (laughs) and he writes and baby jesus butt plug and he's this high concept guy and he's made a lot of money selling these books because he gets the reaction that that you're giving me right now what is the name of the vagina book the haunted vagina. The haunted vagina. You can and look it up on Amazon. I will. I will. And just yeah. can I? Do you know what it's about? Um, it's about a haunted vagina. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but why? I mean, because Carlton's just one of these people. You'll see. Because what he did was he called me up and he said, "David, you're vegan. You're a horror writer. I need a vegan zombie novel." And my first thought was, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." <laughs> and then he said, "Tell you what." If you write a vegan zombie novel for us, we'll give you four other books. Oh. And so then the dumbest idea became, give me two weeks to think of something. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote a book that's called The Vegan Revolution with Zombies. And it's a satire. And it's basically like Portlandia. Because I was living in Portland at the time. It's like, it was before Portlandia. But the novel is basically Portlandia with zombies and so the whole book is about everyone except for the vegans becoming zombies and it's meant to be funny and it's one of my top sellers even though i didn't want to do it originally and so Carl, are, are you making money as an author now a little not enough to not enough to pay the bills in san diego maybe in indiana where i grew up but not enough you know i still have to teach and and um you know during the day and and uh you know, it's interesting things. because zombie, like weirdo shit that you're talking about, right. has to be like a like a super niche audience, right? No different than sports radio. I mean, right. sports radio is a super niche audience. Now there may be more sports fans than there are zombie fans. I don't know. Maybe there are more zombie fans. For well, all I with know. The Walking Dead, there's there's a lot of yeah, yeah. and uh, and really, I w- lucked into a situation because my book hit right when The Walking Dead hit and right when Portlandia hit, and I was able to say it's like Portlandia meets Walking Dead. And I sold a lot of those books for a while. And the good news was, is they kept getting good reviews. Everyone kept saying that they were laughing, that it was very funny. Um, every once in a while, you get a review saying, this is for vegans only, and I don't like it. And But for the most part, people were laughing and thinking it was funny. So you got four more books out of this deal, though. Yeah. Which will get us, I assume, later to the in, one, that's, to coming the one that's coming out. Okay, yeah. so now let's go back then. So now, thank you. Yeah. Okay, because you <laughs> see, you don't understand. So you think... Well, part of the story is save my save our bolts here, and you just keep wanting to go down that road. So you just told us a lot of really super interesting shit that right. people are going to hear, and they're going to go, "Okay, so this is the guy behind Save Our Bolts." Right. And now I'm understanding all this writing and this time and this activism. Like, how did he get into this? Now we're starting to understand. Yeah, and so my friends who are my activist friends and my writing friends, when Save Our Bolts happened, it was the weirdest shit ever to them. They were like, "Wait, you're doing an activist campaign to save a football team?" 
And I'm like, yeah, yeah, because, well, I was in Portland. I was part of the Charger community, and, and it was just like the Chargers became really important to me. I moved home, and then literally a year after moving back to San Diego, right, and I call San Diego home now, even though I grew up in Indiana, but I consider San Diego home. I moved back, and within a year, they were you know, the Carson thing happened, but we were a little ahead of Carson because we, we, cause I was on to Dean and I'll tell you why a very specific reason it relates to mighty 1090 is that I was already on to Dean because I noticed that he didn't do any mid season interviews. Like he used to do an interview with you guys or with Darren and I contacted, um, my bolt blitz friends like Thomas Powell. And I said, you know, something's up with Dean. He's not talking to the media. He's not doing his usual interviews. I'm worried. And what I decided was, look, I have 20 years of activism experience. I know how to talk to the media. I know how to send press releases. I know how to uh, run a campaign. I know how to do these things because I used to do it for environmentalism. Um, let me do this for the Chargers. you know. And so I got out my notebook and I wrote a whole page of notes of just like, this is how we're going to do it. And I laid it out, and the first thing I did was I called for a meeting. And that very first meeting, the founding members, Marissa Kelly, who's very involved, Johnny Bolt Pride, um, all these people who were serious fans showed up. And they How did you contact all these people? Um, well, basically, I put the word out on Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, and saying, like, hey, I need Charger fans to come. And there's a lot of Charger Facebook groups and stuff like that. And what year is this? What were we talking about here? This was right before the Carson announcement. Okay. So this would have been 14, okay. the end of the season. Mm. And we started in January. And like I said, like all the people who were the most active people, Johnny Bull Pride, all those guys, they, they all came out. And if you look at, and you and you and I both know from watching Johnny Bolt Pride for a great example, he became an amazing activist, but he didn't know anything about being an activist when we started. And so a lot of what we were doing was I had this book called The Activist Handbook that was my guidebook that taught me how to be an activist it was by a, a housing a homeless advocate activist named Randy Shaw from San Francisco. And Were you preaching all this shit to? I was preaching all to, this shit. Who's in the room now? You say it's Johnny, Johnny Bolt Pride, Pride, Thomas Powell, uh -huh. Booga from Bolt Blitz. And you're like, telling all these people, hey, look, guys, I've got a background in activism. Yep. Does anybody else here have an any? And nobody nope. has any. No, nobody has a background and, in and, it. And they're buying what you're selling. Yes. Uh, there was one other activist who was really early on involved. His name is Jesse Arayo. He used to be a photographer. He used to take pictures for mm -hmm. the Chargers. And he had some activism experience. So Jesse was really helpful in the early days. I remember that name. I definitely remember from Yeah, Twitter. Jesse was very involved in the beginning. And um, But what we did was I basically did trainings. And I would... I would pull out this book and I'd say like, look, I know this is really boring shit to read about this homeless activism campaign, but you need to read this and you need to understand how you're talking to the media, how you're addressing the, the mayor, all these things, how you're working with the politicians. We have a little bit of a different situation because we have to deal with this rich asshole owner, but like, um, and Dean Spanos, I mean, I didn't call him that then, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we had, we had to deal with Dean and his family and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Uh, and originally we had an adversarial relationship with Dean because we were, um, you know, when they had the announcement about the Carson project and so on and so forth. And we had to learn, too, how to deal with sports media when we were calling up radio shows and like um, figuring out how, how to best communicate with media, how to, you know, in one of the workshops that we did, we did talk about, for example, like understand what. Scott Kaplan and Billy Ray Smith need to like what they're doing in their hour of their show. So when you call in, you're not an annoying guy. They want to take your call. They want to listen to you because you're going to give them information. And I know, for example, there was one time I called you guys from the gym. I was playing basketball and I was listening to you guys on the radio and we were talking about there was this big release of information where the Chargers had released this report about downtown. And I had already read like all 35 pages of it. And I remember you saying on the air while I'm sitting there dribbling, shooting hoops, um, I don't have time to read this. And I had said, well, I just spent all morning reading it because <laughs> I was on break from school. And so I called you up and I remember we had this really great phone call where we were all laughing and kind of being jovial about it, but I was able to distill the report. And I always use that as an example of saying like, this is smart way to communicate 
your desire as an activist to save this team is you have to understand the media and who you're working for. And that became a huge part of it. And that's why we ended up having really good relationships with yourself, Dave and Jeff, uh, Derek Togerson. These are all people that we developed really good relationships with because, um, and I know that in the end, we all wanted to try and keep the team here, right? So Well, yeah, I mean, I think your, your whole point about activism and community, and this is like my biggest thing, it always has been. I mean, so that's how you survive 17 years on the radio in one town. You have to build a community, you yeah. know, and, and I think that what you guys did a great job of cultivating was you, you had so many guys who were, like you said, ha had sort of fan recognition, be it in their own mm -hmm. groups or maybe it was the Bolt Pride guys or whatever, yeah. whatever it was, there were enough people. And then there was enough passion mm -hmm. and then there was enough media support and there was, you know, former executives from the team. And, and I can remember that first um, meeting at Qualcomm Stadium and yeah. we were we were broadcasting from there that afternoon. That and was a huge night for us. Yeah, that was a huge what? That was a huge night for us that night. at uh, There was one point where we were sitting in the bowl of the queue, Johnny Bolt Pride and I by ourselves. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we had just, I had just gone up and spoke to the, the thing. And when I, when I got done, this was not planned. This was not anything that came up. I was wearing my Saver Bolts t-shirt, which we just printed. I mean, it was literally hot off the press. And I, I gave my short little talk, the two minutes that I was given and the whole crowd ch started chanting, save our bolts, not planned. But I was like, whoa, that's amazing. Now, this is, wait, then, what, what time do you think that was? I'm just curious what, what your recollection would be of what time of day that was. Because we were on the air. It was, you were on the air. You were just finishing up your show. Yeah, we were kind of on the air until about six. And as I recall, what was starting to happen at the time was, as I was looking around the radio landscape, mm -hmm. is that, you know, you had Nick Hardwick on the other station. Mm -hmm. And while from I don't a, think he was on the air yet. I don't think so either. I, yeah. I, he might have, like, dabbled in a little bit of radio. But he was all of a sudden... He might have been on the air or he might have been on the air with the Chargers, but not on on talk. I, I don't really recall because yeah. I've never listened to their morning show. And the only exposure I have to it is like the tiny little times I might see it on Fox Sports San Diego. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, from a business and rating standpoint, they're not really. Um, they don't affect you guys. Right. They don't affect us. So. Yeah. So. But Nick was starting to become at that time. A hero. The leader. And I was thinking to myself, OK, well, you know. There's nothing I can do about that. Like, I, I'll be the voice. I'll be the guy who will rant and rave every day on radio. Yeah. I'll be the voice of the fan, which is what I always thought of myself of anyway. He's going to have to... He's becoming the former player face. And while this, I wanted Billy Ray to desperately take that role, <laughs> I so badly wanted Billy Ray to take that role. But but Billy Ray was... It's not, his it, style, it's not who he was. Yeah. And I wanted, like, Billy Ray and Rolf and Hank and any of the old dudes to become, like, f advocates and... The mayor, as I look back on it now, mm -hmm. I think played everybody and played um, the former players so, so that it mm -hmm. looked like he was really supportive, especially in these early days. Well, I got to say, I'm not as angry with the mayor as a lot of people are. Um, as somebody who sat in meetings with the mayor and, and was across the table with him several times, there after our first meeting, I was just shocked when the mayor's, mayor's office said, we'd like to do these meetings every other month. And we were just like, I've never had that kind of activist um, uh, like support or I've never had access. Don't you look to, back on that now, though, and think that these guys were playing a great PR spin game and they were well, using guys like you and me? You would think that. But the one reason I don't is mm. because after we did, uh, we ended up protesting the mayor during the primary and we did a whole we had signs that said mayor for sale and all that. And his chief of staff was super pissed at us. My contact from the mayor's office. I mean, he he straight up was like not returning my emails anymore. And I said, like, that's our last time on the 11th floor. And the mayor actually pressured his office to bring us back. And there there was a meeting that we had after that that I, as a son of a political scientist, my father's a political science professor, I, that's one of the secret weapons that I have in this is that my father gave me tons of advice. He went to Pitt, by the way. Um, well, then his education probably wasn't 
Well, no, he was a he was oh. a grad oh, teacher. All right. At Pitt. all right, okay. He actually had Marty Schottenheimer <laughs> as a student. I'm only joking. I had a great experience there, and yeah. and anybody who I know who's ever been there as a student or a teacher, or anything, <laughs> they, they everybody raves about it. Right. Well, he had Marty Schottenheimer as a student. Amazing. Which is just crazy. Um, but my father was always my secret weapon, and I would talk to my dad after some of these meetings, and and you know he really said to me because I would just lay it all out, like you know everything that was said and. I said, should I believe this guy? And I really felt like in that last meeting, he knew it was over. And the mayor knew it was the over. New, the mayor knew it was over in that last meeting. Which which last I, meeting was this? I mean, can you just put a timetable on it? I mean, is it? This was like uh, towards the end of that football season. So they made okay. the announcement in January. So oh. this was like December. Okay. So because remember, late December, I want to say December 18th or so, the Chargers the, were playing the Raiders here in right. San Diego, and that was, was the that was the game. Just right before that game, Dean Spanos walked up to me, completely unsolicited. I mean, I, I would try to say hello and shake hands mm-hmm. with every owner, every head coach, every I referee. Think I had a story just like this, and and I and I was by myself on the sideline getting ready for the game. Um, we were in a broadcast game for CBS. And Dean walked up to me, and I remember the, I have the picture. Somebody took some photos. That was the day that um, Craig Sager had died from TNT, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do a tribute to Craig Sager, so I was wearing these bright green pants with this super <laughs> colorful shirt with this crazy purple tie. As Craig and, Sager and, would have. And, and, right, but then, of course, with my you know old-school CBS jacket right over it. I mean, just really a, a fashion plate. And Dean Spanos walked up to me, and he said, he said, Hey, I want to thank you for all that you've done to help us with Measure C. And I thought, now that's interesting because Dean doesn't ever really come up to me unsolicited and sure shit isn't about to thank me for anything. I mean, I, I listen, truth be told, several months earlier, I had called Mark Fabiani and I said, Mark, these, these cops were killed here in San Diego. One cop was killed, one guy was shot and was injured. And I said, Guzman. I, right. And yeah. I said, I said, Mark, I'm going to start a fund, but I need you guys to seed it. All I need is just some seed money. Mm-hmm. And I said, think about the positive public relations that will come from Dean starting this. And once Dean committed to it, it was only $5,000, whatever, it was generous. Then Ron Fowler and Peter Seiler, everybody jumped on it. And before I knew it, I had thirty dollars or $40,000. And then I had a big fundraiser down at the police station. Mm-hmm. Well, when I had this fundraiser at the police station, I said to, to, to Mark, would you, pl-? and by the way, at this time, you had Fred involved. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, Fred Matt. Thank you. And I couldn't think of Fred's last name for a second. So, so, I said to to Mark, please get Dean to come to the police station. I want a picture with the chief of mm-hmm. po- my friend Shelly Zimmerman, the chief of police, Dean Spanos, me. I want to be in the middle of all this. I said, and I want to have a check made out to the families. So, so Dean comes down. Fred comes down with him. Fred does all the talking on the radio. Dean just sits there like he has nothing to say, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so, and then we take all the pictures and everything, and, and it was a huge, huge success, right? right. So now, fast forward now to, to the game, and he comes up to me before the game, and he says, I want to thank you for everything you've done to help us with Measure C. And I said, well, you know, you're welcome. I'm just trying to help keep the team here in town, man, you know, want to keep this thing going. Right. And he said, well, you know, it was really a great effort, and, you know, it's just too bad that, you know, it didn't get, you know, 50% because if it had gotten 50%, you know, we really would have stayed around and, and fought this thing. And I go, oh, hold on. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I said, Dean, you're, you're speaking in the past tense. Would have. We right. would have done this. We If this I would have, have happened, we would have. I said, you're, you're speaking in the past tense, Dean. I go, Are, have you made up your mind? Have, have you decided? And he said, well, we haven't decided but I'd say now we're we're pretty much leaning towards LA, and he he offered this to me, right? right. So now you got to understand that in that role, you know, I'm talking to my producer in right. the truck, and I'm going, dude, Dean Spanos just told me some shit he's never said before. I'm telling you, this is newsworthy. Now in the production truck, you've got guys. This is like the, the Chargers Raiders. The well, that and they and it's the Chargers Raiders. So you have to understand these are guys in the six, seven, eight role at CBS. They're not the number one guy <laughs> who makes a decision. These are guys who are trying to keep their jobs and build their their careers. So they now have to call New York City. They call New York to go. Kaplan says that Spanos told him this, this, and this, and this. And Kaplan says this is breaking news because he's the one who's been on the story. So New York comes back and says, "Yeah, fuck it, let's go with it." Right. So I go on the air and I say all this I shit. That. You know, Dean Spanos just told me, and I've never heard him say this before, that if he would have gotten a fifty percent vote, he would have stayed here and fought all the way to the Supreme Court. And Dean Spanos now said before the game that he's leaning towards going to L.A. Right. And I'm telling you, at that moment, that was the ignition to the fire. It was almost like he was. Saying Setting me up like let him tell people yeah. you know 
Well, and I had a similar experience. They honored us on the field before the Bucks game. And um, I got real nervous. <laughs> and there was a moment where Dean came up to, to, to us and was thanking all of us. And I'd had a couple meetings with Dean over the last year that we were doing that. And, and um, I took a moment to shake his hand and say, don't give up on us. And he said, things are going to get a lot uglier before they get better. Is Whoa. what Dean had said to me. That's what he said, huh? That's what he said. And, hmm. and I, but he said, they're going to get better. Well, maybe for <laughs> he thinks they're going to get better. I don't know. But look, I'll tell you, the thing with Measure C, and that's the one that really sticks with me, is that 50% thing, mm -hmm. is because as somebody who worked on environmental campaigns, I worked on... I worked on an environmental campaign for the Sierra Club in New York City or New York State, upstate New York, to ban beaver bills or beaver traps that were like $1 subsidized beaver traps. Does that sound like something fascinating or interesting or newsworthy? It's not really. Thanks but, for the, the update on that, by the right, way. Right. Yeah, we, we got it. <laughs> well, here's the thing that campaign got more uh, staff than Measure C did. That campaign had a bigger office than Measure C did. Andy Demure, who is the campaign manager for the Chargers, had had to basically he was not allowed to use Charger logos on Measure C stuff. He was not allowed to work at Chargers Park. He had this office that was a card table, a phone, and a couple boxes. What are you saying? What I'm saying is they underfunded Measure C. Who's they? The Chargers. Okay. They underfunded it. They had all the resources at Chargers Park, that big media center that they had. They could have had him working out of there. But if you tell me that there's only 50% is what he's saying he needed to fight, do you think we could make 7% up if the players ever campaigned after the signatures were gathered because they stopped campaigning? We never saw Dan Fouts again. We never saw LT again. Never saw the commissioner again. We never saw the commissioner again. Right. Wait, so so hold on. Let me just understand what you're saying. So what I'm saying is is that this hogwash about 50% mm -hmm. is the biggest lie because we know that if it's 7% is the difference, there's like four or five little things they could have done. They could have printed t-shirts with Charger logos on you, them. So you're just saying, you're saying, just because this got back to you, you're not as angry with the mayor as some other people are. I'm, you're I'm saying, totally angry, Dean. You're saying that you still... All of your anger. 95% of my anger is, is, is at Dean. Okay. And hey, let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this. As you've had a chance to kind of sit back now, it's been over a year, okay? Yeah. And life has gone on. Yeah. You know? Even for a sports talk radio personality who, who depended really on the NFL for a large portion of content. Mm -hmm. Life goes on, career goes on. By the way, ratings are as strong as can be. Uh, yeah, let me you guys do it. really me... interesting interviews now that you didn't really do before thanks. when you were focused on the charts. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I don't want to say as strong as like can be. Like Taggart from yeah. Beverly Hills Cop. Isn't that funny? It was awesome. Yeah, it's cool, right? <laughs> so, I mean, on paper, it doesn't look great, but it sounded awesome. Thanks. Well, <laughs> so, okay, so as we've reflected now, here, yeah. here's, here's, here's kind of my thought on this. Yeah. And I wonder how you feel about it. When I look at what Stan Kroenke is building now at Hollywood mm -hmm. Park, and they're saying that this stadium is going to cost $4 billion, they're also reporting that Kroenke himself is putting up $1.6 billion in cash. Yeah. Now, now I don't really know if everything we read is true, okay? He could have never done that. <laughs> okay, so he couldn't have done it. Therefore... We would have been stuck with a lot of... The, the taxpayers yeah. are responsible then. If we want an NFL team, we have to build a stadium or subsidize a billionaire. And yeah. I, I got to say... That at the time, I was like, well, fuck it. We want football in our town. We don't yeah. want to turn ourselves into a secondary city. We, and by the way, sports-wise, we kind of are now. We've yeah. got a Major League Baseball team. We've got a Mountain West football basketball school, a West Coast Conference basketball school. We don't have, and then everything's minor league sports. Yeah. But we still have passionate sports fans. What I'm getting at is this. At the time... I very much believe that as taxpayers, we should build a killer stadium. We should want the Super Bowl. We should want other world-class sporting events. And by the way, I still believe it to this day. Mm -hmm. However, seeing what Kroenke is doing in Hollywood Park, okay, now I say it, to do projects like these, this requires private money, not public money. And by the way, last thought on this. That's why immediately after the Chargers left, when the Soccer City thing started to show up, 
it sounded so good at the beginning because it was all about, it sounded like it was all oh, about private money. private money. And and it just so happens that I knew two of the players in that deal, mm-hmm. three of the players, excuse me, who I think are phenomenal business guys and I trust with my life, very frankly. Mm-hmm. I don't know them that well. I just know what kind of really great people these guys are. They themselves didn't realize that they'd got them themselves caught up in the political bullshit because while the mayor knew that it was over, to your point, mm-hmm. he thought he had plan B in the bag. And then he screwed anything and that's got screwed up. So what I guess what I'm saying is this a year plus later, looking at how Cronky is doing things in L.A., fuck that. The public should not pay for stadiums. No, no. And and, and Dean is just a, a horrendous owner. And I got, you know, a front seat to seeing like how I kept thinking there's no way they would do it go to LA because it just didn't make same. any sense. Yep, same. And it's been proven by how they've been received in LA that everything that I thought would happen that they would be smarter than to avoid has happened. And in, in that sense To your point, they didn't know how to run a campaign which I think what what most people Either believe they is they didn't know how to run it, or they or, or, or they, they intentionally about, sabotaged. It. I think they intentionally sabotaged. Oh, okay, but 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 let's just go with this for a second. Let's say they it's didn't. My opinion. Okay, but let's just say they didn't know. Let's say they didn't know how, how to run a campaign. Yeah, right? which is possible. Okay, of course it's possible because look what they've done. They didn't know how to run a campaign in L.A. It's the same thing. You should Except have been for, running a campaign. Their campaign to, manager was not an idiot. Andy Demure was not an idiot. He was a very smart guy. I just saw that his... And he says all the right things. If you ask him now, he'll say, oh, I got everything I needed. But I'm sorry. Watching him from the outside, he'll he'll say the right thing because he was hired by the Spanos family, but he didn't have everything he needed. And he was, you know, didn't have the... For one thing, you want to talk about 7% difference in a vote? We had an army of volunteers from Save Our Bolts who wanted to go door to door and they we only got the bare minimum of them trained and we were asking over and over and over to let our army help them and we never got the chance we never saw lt we never saw philip rivers campaigning after the required signatures were made that tells you that tells you that they were able to get those guys if they needed them for the signatures so to me they intentionally sabotaged it. okay I don't disagree necessarily. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What is your opinion as a guy who's a huge fan? You even mentioned that you got into the Chargers early when LT's career was starting. Mm-hmm. I, just real quick, I, I love a fan perspective and someone who was an activist and so involved like you were. <laughs> give me. I'm going to give you the name. You give me the opinion. LT, what do you think? Very S- disappointed. Sellout? Um, I'm not as angry as some, but... Um, very disappointed. Disappointed with what? That he works for the team now? Or that he that... works for the team, that he's gone gung-ho, that he's said things like it's only a two-hour drive, that he's been so tone-deaf about, about things, how about that him? he never did his Hall of Fame celebration in San Diego. Um, I'm very disappointed. But but not willing to call him a sellout? I mean, is that really that big of an insult by saying I'm disappointed? Uh, Does it really matter? He is. He. I'd say he's a worse sellout than. Uh, well. Well, how about? Okay, here's the yeah. next. Here's the next name. <laughs> the next name is Nick Hardwick. You said that at the beginning of all these rallies, Nick Hardwick was turning himself into a hero. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, I can recall. And let me we're just, both Hoosiers. He went to Purdue. I, my dad's an IU professor. I, I'm going to just tell you something. I can remember being at Saquon Casino, great mm-hmm. sponsor of our radio show for many years, right? Yeah. Still is. And I can remember being at Saquon Casino, and Saquon Casino was so enamored with Nick at the time <laughs> because he was so anti-Charger. And remember, Saquon was burned by the Chargers. Right. Saquon felt like we're their biggest sponsor. They should have given us a heads up. So Saquon was pissed, and Saquon loved the idea that Nick was going to be kind of their poster boy. So they started to advertise with his radio show, mm-hmm. and I went to an event at Saquon, a groundbreaking for their new hotel, and Nick was on stage with all the top execs from Saquon. Right. And I was at and, Celebrate San Diego, and, so I saw I, right, I Okay, saw same deal. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I, I know my ratings say that we're worlds apart, but yeah. I can see that Nick is picking up a lot of steam. And I actually thought yeah. it's not. This is not a competition between he and I. This is about keeping the team here in town. Yeah, he and if we had the same goal, folk hero right? Here. If we had the same goals, I was good with it because I wasn't seeing that his ratings were going up and mine were going down. So I was totally good with it. But but now you've mentioned LT. What do you and what do you think other people like you think of Nick Hardwick now? Well, 
I think the hatred for Nick that has propped up on Twitter with like the fight for SD guys is a little overblown. I don't think it's worth hating the man. Now, I had a good relationship with Nick during Save Our Bolts. We're both from Indiana. Um, you know, we talk about our homeland all the time and we had a good relationship and I don't hate Nick, but I was really disappointed by what he did. And yes, I would use the word sellout, but I don't think it's worthy of threatening him and all some of the stuff that I've seen on Twitter. I think that's a little overblown. I think he's still, you know, a season ticket holder for the Padres and he's still supporting our community. And, you know, I don't, I disagree with what he did, but you know, it's, well, it's, what about what, what about how do you do you analyze what he's become? In other words, you know, you talk about somebody well, who's on the payroll and listen, I can appreciate where Nick Hardwick is coming from in this capacity. He's got a wife, he's got children and he's got yeah. a brand and his brand is all affiliated with being a charger. Now, for us, it was a San Diego charger for him. Mm-hmm. It's a charger. So for him, he works for the organization. He does local radio where he's the spokesperson for the team yeah. on the very small radio station. You can look at the ratings for yourself and see yeah. that they're not impactful t- in any way. But here's the thing. Yeah. So, he, he, so he's the spread the word f- and spread the love guy in San Diego, which means he gets extra media work with them up there, which means he gets to call the games, which in all likelihood means this. You ready? If yeah. Nick Hardwick would have really told the Chargers to go fuck themselves, Okay, and, and by doing so, actually, yeah. he probably made himself, if Nick Hardwick was making, call it uh, call it $500,000 all in between mm-hmm. his radio show and his Charger work, I'll bet you that the Chargers gave him so much more money now yeah. for doing their TV show and for doing their um, color commentary in the games. They've paid him enough, just like they've paid LT enough, to make it worthwhile to have those guys do what they're doing. Yeah, and you know the thing was... Uh, and, and I appreciate were, their loyalty to the organization because that's the organization that brought them in. That's the organization that made them rich. I got all of that. Yeah. But they but they absolutely turned their back to the fans who believe that the Chargers did and therefore people who've... The, the haters, guys like mm-hmm. myself... The haters look at Nick and and LT as sellouts. The guys who continue to love the team and don't really care if they're in San Diego or elsewhere, those guys, it doesn't even matter to those yeah, guys. I don't I'm not as mad at like Hank Bauer or or you know, because like Hank kind of always said he was gonna still be a Charger fan. But you know, the thing with Nick, um, the I don't listen to his radio station. That was the I but I did up until that announcement that he was with the Chargers, I listened every day from six to seven. I listened to Nick's show that was like at the gym. It was an appointment for me. I'd listen every, that was my one hour of 1360 a day. And the second he made the announcement, I've never listened to another minute. And as much as I'm not angry at Nick, I understand where he's coming from. It's just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear, don't want to hear somebody saying anything about the chargers other than rooting against them. I went from being a hardcore charger fan to you know it's a lot easier on sundays now to root for my new team which is anybody who can beat spanos and that that is the reality and as hard as it was for me to divorce myself from the chargers as hard as that was sundays are a lot easier now (laughs) you're not gonna get heartbroken (laughs) i'm not heartbroken well sometimes when they win i I, you know but and that's the thing is i love philip rivers i still love Gates. I had a really great experience meeting Philip Rivers through Save Our Bolts. He's a really charming and awesome dude. I believe in him, but I just can't get around the fact that I believe firmly that the Spanos family tanked that campaign on purpose. They used us personally for a year, and they used my sweat equity for a year to sell to the to the NFL that they were trying when they had no intention. They had no intention of winning that campaign. They meant to lose. And from the beginning, and that's one of the reasons why I personally will never be a fan of the Chargers until Dean Spano sells the team. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people that went looking for another team. I'm just not rooting for another team. All right, so let's let's do this because we're going to wind up getting long into this. And, and I want to get to now to the end of all of this. And we yeah. can do this all over again, too, another time. But So, Dave, you... Um, 
I met you, you came into studio one time, I, I recall, and you said, yeah. hey, listen, dude, I'm writing a new book. And at this point, I really didn't know much about you. And I've learned yeah. a lot about you today. And now I understand. So you said, I'm writing a new book. And now that was then. This was a couple mm-hmm. years ago, as I recall. Yes. And now the book is about to be released. released. Yeah. And so I think this is really awesome. I think this is part of the network of, of community we were talking about. Well, this is really meta because I turned you into a character. And it was funny because the way I sold coming into the studio is I contacted you and Alex and I said that I was researching radio stations and how Sports Talks Radio works because in my book there was going to be a character who was a Sports Talk Radio host. Or I think I just said there was a Sports Talk Radio show. But really, honestly, I was lying. I was researching you. <laughs> I, had, I didn't care how the show operated. I listen every day. I'm a great friend. I listen. So I know how the show operates. I know when you're trying to get... Billy Ray to talk more. I understand when you got to hit when you're going long on breaks. I understand when you're pitching things to people. I, I understand that this got to be our show. But what I wanted to do was see things like this room, your office. I wanted to see how you interacted with your staff off the air. I wanted to see these things. So it was totally bullshit. I just wanted to watch you. And it was hilarious because um, as a militant vegan and a longtime hardcore vegan, I happened to come on the day when you were judging barbecue. <laughs> 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 and um, so it was kind of torture for me. <laughs> and, we didn't um, have any tofu ribs for you? No. And it was also John Brown, Browner's first time on the air, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because every time I hear street cred now, I'm like, eh, I was there for the first time. But, um, but you know, uh, and I'm a big NBA guy, a Portland Trailblazer fan. Shout out to Portland Trailblazers. And um, so, uh, you know, Browner, I love his segment. But so it was cool to be here for the first time. But I was not. I was watching you <laughs> because I wanted to do this character. But um, in reverse, uh, the book itself is one that I first originally thought of in 2003. That's how long I've been researching the different elements of it. And I actually, the writing of the book only took three months. And that was literally, I started two days after the Chargers made their announcement. And there's a lot of anger in the book that uh, not just the environmental issues, but also just for San Diego, I was angry and I was working on a lot of issues. And um, it's funny because um, the whole concept of the book came when in 2003, when we had the Cedar Fire, um, I had just gotten back from a big protest in San Francisco and we took uh, gas masks up to San Francisco because we were afraid they were going to tear gas us. And uh, <laughs> it was funny because nothing, they didn't end up doing anything. So we just you know, randomly took gas masks up there. But so we had these gas masks in our car and we were driving back to San Diego and the Cedar fire had started. We had no idea. We stopped at a gas station in LA it was snowing ash. And I said to myself, fuck LA. God, this place sucks. It snows ash. And I had no idea that when we got back to San Diego, the same thing was happening. And we got back to San Diego. It was literally like five or six in the morning and there was this orange midnight and the sky was red and they had already shut down the city. So nobody was allowed out and we were living in North Park at the time. And so my friends and I put on our gas masks and we went for a bike ride. And it was the weirdest, most fucked up Mad Max thing you've ever seen because the whole city was shut down and we were riding around on bikes in gas masks. And the whole novel came to me in one minute. Because the whole city was shut down. There was nobody out in the streets. And I had this thought, well, what if this whole fire was a big smoke screen and they were just trying to execute our population? (laughs) What if they were just trying to kill us off, carding us off in this thing? And I didn't have anything more than that of of, of the novel at the beginning. I just like, it didn't have the characters or anything. Yeah, I want to know who they are. Who's killing us all off? And what do we do? And who's going to survive? It's already up for pre-order on Amazon. <laughs> and so the book is called Ring of Fire. And the basically what I wanted was through it's it's a day it's the first day of the end of the world seen through San Diego's eyes. Multiple characters, there's two homeless characters, there's a chief of staff at the mayor's office, there's a sports radio guy. Um, what is the sports radio guy's deal? What's he doing? Yeah, uh, Will Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Goldberg. Will Jeez. Goldberg. Another Hebrew brother. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I think one of his first lines of the book is he says, "Oh Christ," said the Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you know, basically, like I wanted to see the end of the world through all these different characters' eyes, but the book is really intense because 
the air is unbreathable. The water is undrinkable. The, um, the food is contaminated. People are coming down with cancer. And the idea is all these things are coalescing and they, the omnipresent they, decide that the city has to go. Mm. The city has to go. And what does Will Goldberg do? Does he broadcast? Does he? He's broadcasting. Is he heroic in any way? Is he good looking? He's broadcasting through the entire thing. And he starts off on the air, and his host, who's based on Billy Ray, doesn't make it for the day. So one of the other main characters, who's basically based on Derek Togerson, who's a uh, uh, TV sportscaster, just found out he has cancer and has to come in and fill in next to the guy who's based on you. And so they're on the air as all this is happening. And there's also a character based on Jeff Dotseth. And that's a funny story because I was just starting to write the book and I was listening to Jeff's podcast and he, uh, he, he referred to me as Agronoff, that asshole from Save Our Bolts. And at the time, I didn't really know that part of Jeff's thing is he calls everyone an asshole, even if he likes them. And he was just like, what? Dotseth just called me an asshole. Fuck him. I'm killing him in my book. And so... In a funny turn of events that I think your listeners will enjoy, your character actually kills Jeff's character in the book. <laughs> and um, so that's a big tease. And uh, and I told I've been giving Jeff a real hard time on Twitter, like and and over email that I had to kill him in the book because he called me an asshole on his podcast. And um, and eventually I learned that like he calls everyone an asshole, <laughs> and not to take it personally. Um, and uh, but at the same time, um, this opportunity to write this book, as I started to, you know, for years I've been researching the firefighting, the waterboard, the pollution, all these aspects. I literally spent 12 years researching this book while I was writing other books. And, but when I got down to it, in the final stages of planning it was when I was doing Save Our Bolts and I was meeting people at the mayor's office. And so after meetings at the mayor's office, I'm sitting there talking to my contact at the mayor's office and I'm saying, hey, so where's your command center? You know, where do you deal with wildfires? And then all of a sudden I get a 35 minute conversation with the chief of staff at the mayor's office and he gives me contacts to the water board so I can talk to guys at the water board about, you know, the fact that we have one aqueduct that brings all of our water in from the Colorado River and that we only have six months of water if that aqueduct breaks, that's scary. You know, things like that. And yeah, all of a sudden makes it into the book. It how about, all, how about, how about all the anger? And let's end it here because we'll do it again. Yeah. Because uh, I'll be curious to see how the book sells, which you say is already doing well in the presale. Yeah. Um, okay, so all the anger you had. Because you yeah. said you started writing it two and days. 20 years of environmental anger, too. Right. So you got all this environmental activism anger. You've got all this Charger now hatred. Yeah. Two days after you start writing the book, you said it took three months to write. How much of the Save Our Bolts angry dude is in the writing of this book? Can, we, can we hear it? Can we see it? Can we, can we feel it? Every page. Look, I write horror novels, and my editor... Um, at Dead Eye Press, Jeff Burke, he's, uh, you know, he does hardcore horror. That's what he does. All of the books that they put out are like the most extreme horror stuff. And the very first email I got back from Jeff when he finished reading the book was just one sentence. Well, that was intense. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, really, you know, I've written a bunch of horror novels, but this is definitely the most brutal and intense horror novel I've ever okay, read. Okay, the name of the book is? Ring of Fire, and it's available on Amazon already. You can uh, pre-order it. It comes out June 15th. And the character Will Goldberg is definitely Scott Kaplan. I think people will see it. The, the, I just named Jeff, Jeff. And there's literally lines that he said on the radio all the time, like, uh, I'm sick of these ham and egger dopes and Mayberry by the beach and all the shit that he says. You can definitely see the uh, characters. In, you can see Scott Kaplan in it. I didn't find a way for him to be pitching people like projects in the middle of the radio show because the world was ending. Mm -hmm. I but, might have had some cleanup concepts, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but uh, Well, I've been waiting for the pitch uh, here since we're talking. But, um, you know, to me, like it was a really that was one really fun aspect of it was being able to take these real life experiences because Save Our Bulls got me in there. Well, here's here's my last pitch for you. Seriously. And here it is. 30 seconds. Dude, you've got you've got all this experience having written now your six books. You've had some screenwriting experience. Mm -hmm. You're you're working to pay the bills. I feel like you're a breakaway. You know, you're like if if this book could sell like mm -hmm. crazy, like I, and film I rights is where it's at. And, yeah. What, say again. 
film rights is where you make yeah, money. Yeah, right. and I don't really know how how a book goes viral necessarily. Like how all of a sudden it becomes a, a bestseller on Amazon, unless you're like a major, you have like a major PR push behind you. Yeah. But I I hope your book, this book, goes viral, and I hope all the Charger fans, whether they're haters now or they still love the team, or they're up in LA or they're down in San Diego or anybody who's listening around the world, I hope people can get into the book and maybe this becomes the break that you need. Well, and look, I want to tell the story of Saver Bolt someday in my own way. Um, and eventually I'll want to write a book on that. It'll be easier if we get the support now. Um, <laughs> look, like I'm telling you, it's a horror novel. Not everybody is a horror guy, but it's a San Diego novel. It's You're going to recognize everything in the city. But look, I never asked for anything. It was a weird thing being in Saver Bolts. I did want to just go back to being an anonymous Charger fan. It was weird when people were coming up and asking to take selfies with me. I didn't understand why they even knew who I was. But going back to my Charger crew in Portland, it was like the Chargers were a community to me. And, and you know, Dean Spanos kind of ripped that out away from us. But here's a way, look, you know, I... You know, I did save our bolts because I believed in the community. I didn't want anyone to support me. But it is if you want a way to support me, like getting behind this book is a really huge way. But I'm promising you a couple hours of entertainment because when you sit down and read it, it's it's going to it's going to kick your ass. I, um, I'm really proud of this book in the sense of it's meant to be scary. It's meant to be freaky. And I think that and you know what's been really cool to me is like I have a friend who's one of my trusted readers. He's not a sports guy at all. He told me the most interesting parts for the book for him were the sports radio guys because he felt like those characters were real and came off the page. And um, I told him it's because they are real. <laughs> like, you know, I based them on real people. And, and you know, it was kind of fun for me to, um, after you, I mean, I go back to listening to Scott and BR to Portland, you know, um, rocket scientist, brain surgeon, the guy that would call. I just remember after wins and losses that Monday morning when I'd fire up the internet and listen to Scott and BR and, 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 you know, so my connection to Scott and BR goes way back. So if the great friends want to support my book, that would mean a lot to me. And, um, you know, and I, I just tell all the great friends out there, it's just, you know, I did what I could. I tried to save the team. Um, and the people in our group really did bust our ass to, to try and, um, do it. And one of the things at the very first meeting, one of the very first things, and this is a good thing to end on is the very the end of the very first meeting, I looked at all the guys and gals in the group and I said, look, they may leave, but we need to be able to look back and say, we did everything possible to try and keep them from going. And I know we did. I know Dean didn't. I know measure C was a load of shit. I know he didn't, they didn't give half the effort they needed to, but we did. And that's, you know, we tried to save our bolts and that's all that's important. And Charger fans can look back. I really hope the Hall of Champions in the future will do a display for Save Our Bolts. Not because selfishly I'm a part of it, but, but because I think it's a last, the most important thing that the Chargers ever did in this community was bring us together, whether it was tailgates, whether it was families on Sundays or Save Our Bulls. It brought us together. And I don't want Dean Spanos to put a stake in the heart of that vampire. Well, I want to thank David Agronoff for coming in and sharing his passion. And uh, he was so excited to be here, which always kind of gets me a little freaked out, like, you know, people, hey, it's cool to come here to the radio station. It's cool to hang out here. And it's cool to hang out in your office. And I'm just like, yeah, it's, just, you know, it's just another day. But I was really, really happy with uh, what Dave talked about and all of his passion for the Chargers and what happened and all of the insight that he brought and all the hard work that he committed. And now I'm hoping that this book, which sounds like he said, so San Diego and so uh, so many of us are, are kind of part of his story that I hope uh, all the great friends will go out and, and buy that book. It's only like 13 bucks, And I know it's weird, and maybe if you're into The Walking Dead like he was talking about or any of that kind of sci-fi stuff, like I like Game of Thrones, you might find this book really interesting and, and help support a great friend. And speaking of support, listen, I, I hate to do this to you, but but you know people say to me, well, how do you make money doing a podcast? And my answer is, I don't know yet. I haven't figured it out quite yet. But I do know that we have some great sponsors that help along the way, not just on the podcast, but on the radio station as well. And one of them I just want to mention is Gorilla Movers. I've mentioned these guys to you before. 
they've been there for me to move three times now and moving it sucks and moving under the circumstances with with why i'm moving sucks even worse because let me tell you something a friend of mine said to me yesterday um tell me about divorce he said i've heard from other people that divorce is the worst thing you could ever go through in your life and i said i'm going to tell you two stories about getting divorced and neither of them have to do with getting divorced but both of these stories are drama in my life as a byproduct of getting divorced. And anybody who's ever gone through divorce knows just so much other shit winds up happening, but it is all because of the divorce. And so I, I'm just getting at back to the beginning. You know, I move, I have moved three times, whereas I lived in the same house for 15 years. Guerrilla Movers was there. Gorilla Movers was there to help go from one to the next, from the next to where we currently are right now, and hopefully we'll be settled for a long time. But if you're moving locally in San Diego, if you're moving around Southern California, if you're moving out of Southern California, if you're moving into Southern California, if you're just moving your office around town, nobody more professional than these guys, GorillaMovers.com. Again, I would like to thank everybody for tuning in and for being a part of this experience. And I just really hope that you'll continue to like, share, tell people about this podcast and uh, and to continue to go back and listen to the ones that we've already produced for you you can use the website scottkaplanmedia.com until next time great friends <laughs>